Thank you, Father God. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. I've had, um, I've had a lot of synchronicities this morning. Have you, you, you've had these Holy Spirit synchronicities um, where there's, there's kind of, well, synchronous th- things, that, things that come up that cause you to pay attention because they sync up with something else. I've had about five or six this morning. Um, thank you, Yvonne, for your um, uh, word, because I was asking, should I teach on that section or not? And then you prophesied it, so we're going to go there. Um, um, so that was, uh, that was helpful. Um, and, and, a, and a couple of others as well. Um, whoops. And the reason, the reason I read that prayer, I was deliberating over that one or a different one, and I kept coming back to that one, but because of what you said, Alice was like, no, it has to be that one. And that's why I did that first, so I was going to do it at the end. So we just put it, put it all upside down on its head. Um, by the way, you have to permit me to you know, be a little bit irreverent here and, and, and tell a joke, because when Kat was doing that excellent demo um, earlier of feeding people the Bible, it reminded me back in the day when I was leading evangelism teams in Bristol. We were going out, and um, it was called Street Level Ministries. I led this team for, well, cumulatively, I was involved for eight years with, um, we would go out on Tuesday nights into sort of suburban areas of um, all around Bristol and beyond, and in those days you'd get gangs of kids would just be hanging around. You don't see it so much now; they, they, they're hanging in, in, indoors more. Um, but we would just we would just go up and try and engage them with the gospel, pray for them, and and it was fun. A little bit crazy. Um, I got beat up doing it once. Um, I thought it was my 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 badge of honor as the only person on the on the team, you know, in 20 years of that ministry running, who actually got got beat up. Um, and I, th- I thought, yeah, that was pretty cool because, you know, I had that sort of uh, martyr thing going on. Um, but, but that only happened once. Other than, other than that, it was, um, it, it was great. But I do recall, guys, it came back to me, and I haven't thought about this in like well, over 15 years. Um, I gave a kid a, a Gideon's Bible once and then saw him a couple of weeks later. He's like, oh, we you know what happened to that Bible? And, um, and he smoked it. Um, he <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, this paper's really good for Rizzlers. You know, I kind of said, he smoked it. <laughs> I was like, well, at least he took it in. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, cross the blood, blood brain barrier. Um, uh, thanks, God. I mean, I don't, for the, for the, for the benefit of the recording and anyone listening at home, I'm not advocating smoking the Bible, but I mean, it's probably better than ignoring it. Um, so, you know, but try reading it first. Um, the, um, the, 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 the story, John 4, I'm, I'm gonna go for, uh, try and go for a little less than 10 minutes here, and then, and then we're gonna pray. By the way, Tuesday, um, come Tuesday, because I think we, we have to, We've really got to lean into this on, on Tuesday at One Church One Day. We had such a fantastic time um, last month, uh, and it was just five or six of us, um, but it was just great, and I, I feel like we need to sort of build on that this coming week. So if you are sort of in two minds about whether or not to come, you don't normally come, uh, come, come Tuesday night, um, check it out. We're, we're going we're to have a good time where we can really lean into this with, with more... Um, time to spare, because obviously we're limited on a Sunday morning. A um, couple of things about, about John 4. Um, so, thank you, Alice, for, for reading that. Um, there's, there's a parallel between, with John 4 and John 7. So, in John 4, you have Jesus make this statement. He said, the one who drinks the water I give him, um, the, there'll be a spring of living water that will, will rise up. And then in John 7, he uses similar words, but he says, the one who, who, um, thinks is the one who believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. So in John, it's very similar language, but it's actually not quite the same. So John 4, he, 
and it's a sequence. So John 4, he talks about a spring that rises up, and then you never thirst. And then John 7, he talks about a river that, move, that goes forth, flows forth, and um, it's, it's rivers, in fact, of life. And it's, it's, the whole thing is Ezekiel 47. Um, so he's, he's sort of riffing off of that. But there's a, there's a lot of code here because you've got this thing about it's Jacob's well. And so Jesus is kind of the story in the gospel. It's, it's pointing back to Jacob's story. Um, and Jacob's story interfaces a few times with wells, but it also interfaces with what your, your word was earlier about the um, Jacob's ladder, you know, the, the ladder that stretches up into heaven. John's gospel actually begins, or pretty close to the beginning, it's in the first chapter, with Jesus saying, um, if, you, if you're amazed with what I'm doing now, what are you going to think when you see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? And he's quoting He's quoting Jacob's Ladder. So I, I just want to bring in that because this is something really, there's something really significant in the link between these. Um, so in, in the story of Jacob's Ladder, Jacob goes to, um, he's running from his brother, he's in crisis, and he, uh, he falls asleep. He actually lay, lays a stone down, and that's significant because there's this recurring image of the stone. He puts his head on the rock, on the stone, and we understand that the rock is Christ, but we only get that in the New Testament. We don't get that in the, in the Jacob story. The rock is Christ. So he's, he's running from a situation that is going that he's afraid will cost him his life. He's stuck out in the middle of nowhere. He's on his own and he takes a rock and he puts his head down on the rock. And that rock's Christ. As he lies down on the rock, he goes into, he goes into sleep and he has like a dream vision. You know, it's not exactly, is he awake and seeing it or is it a dream? But what he sees is this stairway or a ladder that rises up from where he is, this patch of land, and it rises up into heaven. And he sees, um, the, the, like the, the fig, he gets this vision of the figure of Christ at the top of the ladder, but he can't, he doesn't really identify, he just knows that it's God. But he, he sees the angels coming and going. So the, the image is like, here is the access point of heaven. So the angels are doing their thing. Whatever they do, I don't really know, but they're doing it. And how do they get into the human world from the heavenly world? Well, they're going up and down a ladder. That's the vision that he has. And he says, this must be the house of God. So he calls it Bethel. Um, and he comes, he comes back. Um, he wrestles with God there. He comes back there later on. Both times when he goes there, uh, the father reiterates to him that his name is Israel, not Jacob. So he has this sort of transformative um, experience. So uh, and then, then Jacob has this interaction with a well where he's going to get his bride. Um, and he goes to, goes to this well. There's this whole story of, um, this is like G- G- Genesis 28, 29, I think is around that kind of area. And then on into the early 30s of the Genesis story. Um, it talks about all the shepherds are there with all of these sheep, but the sheep can't drink the water of the well until the rock has been taken off the well because the, the, the well is capped by a large rock. And the, the implication there is that there's a limited resource of water. The shepherds don't want somebody to steal it, so they've all collectively got together and they've put this rock that's too heavy for one person to lift. It requires the collective effort of the shepherds to lift the rock off and then the sheep can drink. And that's where Jacob goes and he also goes and meets a woman there. He goes to meet his bride. Um, and so when you get Jesus coming to the well that is Jacob's well, you know, the, uh, John is expecting you to have this backstory. 
because, you know, he had that backstory. So he, he's like, here are the, all these connection points that build up a bit of a mosaic of what's actually going on here. So obviously Jesus is now coming to meet a Samaritan woman who's not supposed to be the bride, which is excluded, but Jesus doesn't exclude her. Um, he goes and asks her for water that she's not actually able to supply. She's not, she's, not able to, she's not able to do it. And this is significant because here what you've got is Jesus cutting, cutting through the whole spirit of religion. This is Jacob's well. It's symbolic of the water that was offered by the Jewish religion. It's by the, this is what the religion offers. It offers water, but you drink it and you, it's going to leave you dry. You'll get a little bit and it'll satisfy you for a short while, but it won't actually sustain you. Um, it's always going to run out of steam or run out, run out of juice, literally. <laughs> it's going to run out of juice. So he gets into this conversation with a Samaritan woman. You know, she says, well, are you greater than our father Jacob? And the point is, yeah, I'm greater than your father, your father Jacob. In fact, Jacob was the one who's dependent on me, not the other way around. So we see that, that Christ is the rock that Jacob put his head on. There's also the rock that caps the well, but then in the tomb, in the resurrection, the the rock is rolled away, right? The the, the stone is rolled away, and Christ comes out in the resurrection. And all all of this is supposed to map on this kind of code of this story of how do you get to the water that's in the well? That water in the well, because actually, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was who speaks to you. What's the gift of God? Galatians tells us the gift of God is the Holy Spirit. So this is the promise given to Abraham. The promise given to Abraham is to have the Holy Spirit, which is interesting because if you go and read the Abraham story, it doesn't say that. Like there's nothing in there that's explicit about that. But Paul, when he's writing Galatians, he's saying, I'm telling you that the promise that God gave to Abraham was the Holy Spirit, that he would receive the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God, what he's saying is, if you knew the Holy Spirit and you knew the one who's talking to you, that's the son, then you would be asking me. Um, so he's cutting into this whole religious construct of how do we get, how do we get the promise? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Um, which is kind of what you, you shared very honestly, Alice. And I think that that is on some level reflective of all of us to some degree at some point, you know, how do, well, how do we get this thing? How, How does it work? And in, when we're in that place of asking that question, how do we get it? How do we work? We're sitting with the Samaritan woman. We're sitting there. Asking Jesus, all right, well, you've got no bucket. Where's the bucket? How do, we, how do we get this? How do we access this thing? And he says, listen, if you just take, a, just take a little drink of what I've got, it will become within you a spring. So he's trying to, trying to recalibrate their thinking. They're thinking about, well, there's a holy spring on a mountain, and, and there's a holy temple that we go to. We, we go to these places. The Jews say, go and worship in the temple. The Samaritans, we've got this mountain with this well that's our holy site, and we're arguing about which is the place you can go to, to meet God. And Jesus, he relocates, he relocates the, the, the center of gravity. And he says, in your innermost being. And actually the language for innermost being, it, it means the, it's like the deep, the deepest organs, which is the, the bowels or the reproductive system, the womb. So in, again, in, in kind of a biblical typology of this, the, the, the womb, it's like when it says, um, David says, I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It's the place of creation. The, the place of creativity is symbolized by the depth. 
the, the, um, the hidden dark place. Um, and again, in Genesis, the day goes from dark to light. So the day begins at nighttime, not at the dawn as it does in Western culture. In Hebrew culture, the day begins with sundown, not with sun up, because the cre- point of creation begins in the darkness and comes into light. And so these are all these patterns that crop up throughout the, throughout, throughout the scripture. So when Jesus is saying from, from the, from the bowel or from the womb will rise up the, a spring, um, He's saying, you're, you're trying to access outside of yourself this, this spring. But I'm telling you the, the center of gravity, the origin of, the origin point of that, that spring is in the deepest core of your being. That's where the Holy Spirit is going to come from. And that's why I kind of joke, jokingly say, you know, it's a good prayer to say, come Holy Spirit, but it's a more biblical prayer to say, come out Holy Spirit. Because when we're saying, come Holy Spirit, we're kind of imagining Holy Spirit's out there. We want him to come in. Okay, I get that. That's fine. But actually, if we're we're really tracking with Jesus, he's trying to show us where's Holy Spirit actually coming from. It's it's from within the deepest part of you. That's where the spring is coming from. And then later on in John 7, it's now if you believe me, believe in me, that spring, it's not just going to be something rising up within you. It's going to proceed forth from you in power that brings resurrection, life, and transformation in all of its different multifaceted uh, contexts. So what Jesus is giving us here, he's talking about an, an inner life dynamic. Because if it's coming from inside you, then he's talking about your inner world, right? We have an inner world um, that's full of all kinds of different things. Memories, um, g- genetic predispositions, uh, culture, intellectual constructs, emotions... All of this furniture of the inner world, and again, Proverbs says the the inner world of a man's heart is deep waters, but it takes one of understanding to draw them out, and the one of understanding is the Holy Spirit, who actually draws out the truth and the reality of what is going on in our inner world. It's always an inside-out process. So I think we get in, we get tied in knots a lot of the time in the Christian experiment when we, we've used a lot of language and a lot of metaphors that have primed us to think very much in terms of God's up there or He's out there and we're trying to get Him to come in. And all the time, this is exactly what the Jews were thinking. This is exactly what the Samaritan woman's thinking. And Jesus is constantly trying to flip it on its head saying, no, even even at the end of John's gospel, he says to the disciples, in that day you will realize I am in you. Not in that day you will realize I will be in you. It's in that day you will realize I am in you. Like right now, you can't get your head around it because I'm standing here face to face talking to you. But when I rise, you're going to realize I am in you right now and always have been and you always have been in me because I am your origin. In him we live and move and have our being, is what the Apostle Paul said. So he's trying to cut through the religious construct of separation that puts God out there, and we need to somehow get him, get a hold of him. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something that you could get a hold of, right? You can't grasp it with the hand. In fact, he he demonstrates it through emptying himself and becoming what we are. Jacob's ladder then, let me kind of land on, on this point. So the link there is, it's it, the, the same idea of the spring and of the ladder. It's just two sides of the same metaphor. In the ladder, the angels are going up and down. In the in the spring, it's the the, the Holy Spirit Himself is rising up and out. But of course, these aren't separate. I mean, the the 
you know, the angels go with the Holy Spirit, right? It's not, they're not doing something different. Um, they're, they're flowing with what the Father, Son, and Spirit are doing. And it's really conspicuous then when Jesus says, um, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He doesn't say you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of God. And that would also be true, but it's conspicuous that he chooses at that moment to say Son of Man. Of course he's talking about himself, but when he says angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he's identifying the, the, um, that gateway of heaven into earth as being associated with humanity. This is something God has given to humanity. So it's as the Son of Man that he is the gateway of the angelic into the, the world. But given that that's true, it's also true for us in Christ that we are the ladder. He is the ladder and we are the ladder. He is the vine with the branches, right? So, uh, so we are in, in union with him. We are the gateway. We are the portal of heavenly things into the earthly realm. That's what the human race is. This is what the, the Genesis 2 creation account is about, which I haven't got nearly enough time to go into now because I'm already over time. But, um, but the point is all, all, of these, all of these things are, he's trying to, to baptize our identity, to, to wash off the, um, the patterns and the systems of thinking in the world that, that tell us lies about who we are. And when they tell us lies about who we are, they set us up with, they set us up to ask the wrong questions. And when we ask the wrong questions, we get answers to those questions, but then the answers don't work. And six months later, we're left wondering, well, why didn't that, why didn't that work? Like, what went wrong? So well, the problem was the question was wrong. So even though you got an answer to it, it didn't produce. Jesus' angle is, look, drink the water and you'll never thirst, right? This, that's the normal Christian life, to quote Watchman Nee. The normal Christian life is, drink the water and you'll never thirst. Well, the, the fact that we've got a thirst problem shows us just how dysfunctional we've got in our religious imaginings about what the way Jesus works. And that's true for me, you know, I'm, um, me, me more than anyone, honestly. Um, that the, you know, that my, my journey has very much been a, getting continually saved from my religious constructs, like over and over again. It's like, oh yeah, I need to get saved from that one again. Um, thank you, Jesus. But, but it's the, um, in, in recognizing, being able to, to name and recognize that that's the Spirit of God that's what he tastes like, that's what he feels like, then we're able to agree and track with it. And that comes into John 7. Then we're able to believe. And in believing, the river is not confined just to us. It then flows out and it gives life wherever it goes. And this is the conclusion in Ezekiel 47. It also shows us why the New Testament comes back over and over again. The church is the temple. The temple is not a physical building. The people, and the ind- so sometimes it's the individual is the temple, sometimes it's the corporate body is the temple. So to, to your point about individual and corporate, it's both and. Um, but it's, it's absolutely explicit and emphatic. How is it that you will never thirst again? Because the spring's always within you. You didn't put it there and you can't get rid of it. We can get it capped with dysfunctional thinking, which is why Romans says get transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, okay, get the mindset straightened out, and then we're like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm recalibrated. I'm just reconnected now. Not that I was ever disconnected, but in my mind I was disconnected, alienated from the truth of what is. And in, and in that space, I've kind of missed where the flow is. So then our, our worship life, our, our life as, the, as the, the family of God, is centered around helping one another stay in the flow. Stay in the, the, that upward flow of the Spirit. We don't make the flow happen. It's always flowing. 
It's, it's not yes and no. It says, the Bible says the Son of God is not yes and no. In him it's always yes. There's no on and off. Jesus is always on. He doesn't have an off switch. So we do, but he doesn't. So the invitation is to say, all right, Jesus, we agree with you. Whatever's going on, you're, you're always flowing. Um, so our, um, our, our prayer points, um, this thing, I, 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 we, so we're going to pick this up on Tuesday, but I want, to, I want us to do a bit of an activation now to, to get us going. There are, there are branches of the church that have a much more developed conversation on this than we have in the West, Western Protestantism, I've discovered. They're, they're very ancient branches of the church, um, particularly in the, the Eastern church and some branches within the Catholic tradition um, have very developed conversations around what this actually means. We have tended to focus much more on instrumental action, like, well, what's our mission? What's our, the thing that we do? We've, we focus much more on that. It's a very Western tendency. The, the Eastern church is always focused on the inner life, like, what, what's going on in your inner world? Like, how's your heart? And what's happening there? So their patterns of prayer and meditation are really core to what it means to even be walking with, with Jesus. Um, and I think this is something that we're getting more and more woken up to in the Western church now. So um, very quick story. I have a friend uh, called Damien Stain. You can look him up. He's, if, you, if you know Randy Clark, he's a healing guy. Damien's a healing guy, but he's like that in the Catholic church. And he, um, uh, we, we were with him at a conference one time. Grace and I were, were with him, and we were talking about the subject of prayer. And I was basically saying to him how cold most prayer meetings and things I've ever been to have left, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm just trying to get my head around that. And he said to me, you know, I think nobody's ever shown you a, a, a way of prayer that actually works for you, which I appreciate being quite a bold statement to say to somebody who'd been in ministry for as long as I have, but I mean, I'll take it. So I don't think any, what, what if no one's ever shown you a way of prayer that actually works for you? Good question. What way of prayer actually works for you? Because it might not be singing Christian karaoke on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> that might not work for you, right? It might, in which case that's great, but it might not. Or it might work sometimes and it might not work other times. So what actually works for you? And he said, he, he taught us Jesus prayer, which I, was what I wanted to introduce. And this may be, may be something that works for you. And it might be something we can pick up and explore a little bit more. And maybe other forms of prayer that are about connectivity. So um, I practice the Jesus prayer with a, a, a prayer rope. It's like a rosary, but it's not got beads. It's, it's woven. Um, and the Jesus prayer is, is a really simple meditation on the name and the person of Jesus. There's two forms, well, three forms of the prayer, really. The long form, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, which is what the publican prays. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the word mercy means compassion as well. You know, I think we can get a bit dysfunctional about what that means. And we're not asking him to do it with the expectation he's not. We're engaging the fact that he is, right? And the other one is just to pray the name of Jesus. That's it. And what, what we do is, we're, the goal is we're not trying to pray from the head, we're trying to pray from the heart. It's also called the prayer of the heart. And so in your, your, your sort of um, starting practice with, with Jesus' prayer, the goal with the Jesus prayer is to pray continually. That's, that's the, the idea. It's a monastic practice um, to keep yourself constantly in a communion or, or, or a rhythm of prayer. Um, what I use it for is getting my mind quiet. Because if you're anything like me, 
when you get into prayer, then suddenly everything can get really noisy. You get like a hundred different things coming, coming in your mind, distracting you. And most of that is just following the patterns of the world. And it's not conducive to helping you connect and engage. So the Jesus prayer is something like you give to your mind to get your mind tracking. Like, okay, the mind's focused on this. But the goal then is with the mind focused on the person and the presence of Christ, we're then moving to engage with the heart. And depending on which school of thought you you go with, um, that may or may not involve visualizing. Um, if we do do visualizing, the it's well. Can, can we just do it? Maybe it's the best way. So, um, with a prayer rope, I would I would typically do it a hundred a hundred times and just repeat it quietly in my head. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm just repeating it. I'm not really trying to do anything. I'm just keeping it turning over in my mind, and I'm just feeling like the like all the turbulence just goes calm. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm centered. I'm in a place of active rest. And I'm able to, I'm just inhabiting communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to intercede. That can happen afterwards. But this is just to ground and center us in that, 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 that the, the calmness of the water. So it's not so overtaken by all these other things. So um, I've blasted through so much time. Excuse me. But come on Tuesday, <laughs> and we can really we can really dive into this more. Um, so here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'd like to invite you to to close your eyes and get get comfortable. But um, you, it might help actually to sit up. You don't have to do it, but it might help. I'm terrible for this. I lie down and what have you. You can easily fall asleep like that. But if you're going to do it for a long time, which some of these monks do, it's important to get in a posture that's active rest, but not one that's going to give you a backache or it's going to, like, um, going to make you fall asleep. So you might find grounding yourself with both feet on the floor helps if you want to do that, if you want to try it. Um, and we, we can breathe with this prayer as well. This is, um, this is also a component. Again, the word breath is the same as the word f- for spirit. So praying with the breath is another way of, 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 of considering this. So... What, what, we, what we can do is just begin to focus on, um, on the name of Jesus. Don't try and imagine Jesus. Um, if you get an image or picture, that, that's fine. But that's prophesying. That's not what we're doing right now. That can happen afterwards. What we're doing is centering ourselves in, in that place of communion. So if you, if you can, just see if you can let your awareness drop from kind of being up in your head kind of down into the center of your chest, into your heart. You can do that by focusing on your heartbeat and begin to focus on your breath. So you can just breathe in and um, we'll pray breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we'll breathe out, have mercy on me. Okay, so we're going to, we'll, we'll pray the two sides of the prayer with the breath. Um, so just, I'll pray it for you. When you do it on your own, you can pray it out loud, but once it gets a little bit more internalized, doing it in, internally is a little better. It, it helps. Um, but we'll breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and breathe out, have mercy on me. And I'll breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we breathe in. Have mercy on me, we breathe out. 
Now just keep that going in your mind with your own breath, your own rhythm of breath. Don't try and change your breath to be like especially deep or anything. Just breathe normally, but keep that prayer going in your mind with the in and with the out. Now that's the Jesus prayer. Keep going while I'm just speaking into it. On the, the visualization side, if that's something that works for you and connects with you, if your attention is there in, in your heart, it can almost feel like you're seeing out of the middle of your chest rather than seeing out of your eyes. It can feel like that. Um, some people, that connects very easily. For other people like me, it doesn't. Um, so what you can do is, I say, just t- turning your attention to your heartbeat. That heartbeat is animated by the Holy Spirit. Every beat of that heart, the electrical impulses, everything that's going on with that is held together by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is the giver of life. Your very life is flowing moment by moment from the Godhead. And you might start to see, or again, turn your awareness towards this, that every heartbeat is emanating light. The scripture says that God made his light to shine out of our hearts. So every heartbeat is emanating light. It's it's true in physics at a quantum level that light is being generated, but that's just a metaphor. It's also true on a spiritual level. Every heartbeat is resonating with the light and the life of God. As we're praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. What happens in this place is all of the, all of the I am nots, all of the, all of the litany of reasons why it's not going to work, all of the troubleshooting, problem-solving, control-based attempt to engineer outcomes... All of it just goes completely quiet. This is Mary and Martha, where Martha's trying to do the dishes, Mary's just got quiet. We're, we're agreeing with the mode of Mary as we do this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's not on our own action. It's not on our own wisdom. It's not on our own knowledge. It's not on our own effort. It's on his mercy. It's on his compassion. So what we're doing is we're bringing our human person into alignment. Physically in the body, we're we're lining up with the breath, with the heartbeat. In the mind, we're lining up. We're centering ourselves on the person of Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. With our imagination, we're centering. Either just on the name or on that, that pulse of light that's coming with, you, with the heartbeat. And you're just allowing the Father to hold you. You're letting him hold you. You're not struggling. You're not wrestling. You're not trying to hurry on into the next thing. You're just letting him hold you.
It's the hands of the Father that cradle your heart and your inner being. And from here, we, our prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. In that prayer is everything. Everything that we need, anything that we want, anything that we could possibly hope or imagine or engage with, it's all there in that prayer because he's the one who is always yes. He's not saying yes, no. He's always yes. And in that place we say, Lord Jesus, give us the water to drink. The prayer of the Samaritan woman. Yes, give me this water. Give me this water. And you know that this isn't a prayer that has a yes, no answer to it. It's a prayer he's already answered. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now again, use, use your body. If you want to and it works for you, I, I, I sometimes just get, get my hand, slap it on my belly. It's a physical reminder to me. Gr- grounds me that Holy Spirit is coming from here. just in that place of communion. And for the last few minutes, keep, keep going, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe in, have mercy on me, breathe out. I'm just going to read another blessing over us to finish. Because while we're, while we're in this state, it's like being in, a, in an alpha state with the Holy Spirit, active rest. We're engaged, but we're, we're not dissociated. We're engaged, we're connected, spirit, soul, and body, and we're focused and allowing Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit to hold us. This is a good place to receive a blessing without distraction. <clears throat> so I'm going to say Hope Church, but I want you to hear your own name as, a, as, an, in, as an individual when I say Hope Church. Just hear it as your own name. So we did a corporate one. I want this to be an individual one, but of course I can't say it to everyone's name. Hope Church, I call your spirit to attention in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Listen with your spirit to God's word for you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hope Church, your father made you special. You are a very special church, very special person, created and crafted and designed by God your father. Before the foundation of the world, your father planned for you. You are no accident. You did not have to exist, but your father willed you to exist. He chose the day and the time you would start your life. He chose your parents and wove you together in your mother's womb. He planned your birth order and put you in your family. He chose every one of your chromosomes. He chose every one of your 10,000 plus genes. He chose every part of your spiritual heritage. He reached back into your father's bloodline and your mother's bloodline. And from generations past, your heavenly father chose different parts of your heritage. Some parts are are not so beautiful, but some are absolutely gorgeous. Yet your father wove it all together and gave you everything you need in the package of your life. 
to be an overcomer, which is what you are, a victor, to take the negative parts of your heritage and triumph over them, to walk in the beauty of all that God has placed within you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Your Father made you beautiful and beloved. I bless you, Hope Church, because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God invested an incredible amount of effort and concentration in designing you. You are unique, one of a kind. There is nobody else like you. God has thought extensively about you. Every detail of your body, every organ, every cell is the result of God's thoughts. Every facet of your personality is the result of his kind intention. You are beautiful. You are beloved. God has blessed you with his love. God smiled on the day he created you. He has been waiting for millennia for the particular point in time when you were conceived. He had great joy in his heart when his plans actually came together. He nurtures your spirit. He watches over you. Your world needs you. You bring something to your family that no other person has. They need the gifts you bring. Your family would not be complete without you. Others in your circle need the deposit that God has placed in your life. Hope Church, your father wrote your days in his book. He has already read the final chapters, although we have not had that privilege. Your life is not a random thing. He is looking forward to the chapters of the story he has already written. He designed your spiritual heritage. Your generational blessings go back a thousand generations. There is a spiritual treasure chest of generational blessings with your name on it. Those are being released to you incrementally over the course of your life at the appointed, appropriate time. All this is God's master plan. God has foreseen your pain. He promises that because of his love, his power, and his blessing upon you, he causes pain and negative things to be transformed into good things before the end of the story of your life. We don't know everything about who you are going to be or what you're going to do, but you are loved, you are a blessing to your family, and you are a life giver in the world. You are special. And we celebrate God's miraculous design of who you are. I bless you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Have a practice on your own. Uh, Just a couple of minutes. Don't feel like you've got to do a long time. Come talk to me if you want to find out any more. Come Tuesday, we'll lean in a bit more, spend a bit more time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Alison. We're we're finished. Unless you've got anything else to say? Grant. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.